Gradebook, a Tampa Bay Times podcast on Florida education issues. I'm reporter Jeff Solacek, and today we are doing something we haven't done before, which is talking about Hernando County schools. They are in our readership area, and they are just as crazy as Hillsborough County schools, it seems, these days. They've had superintendent and school board disputes going back for several months now, and it's all coming to a head with the recent firing of the superintendent, who is now challenging that firing. With us today will be Megan Reeves, our Hernando County education reporter, and we're going to jump straight into that conversation. Welcome, Megan. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. You know, we haven't talked about Hernando County much, but it seems like there's a lot of stuff going on there that's pretty nuts that lately has been all focused on the superintendent and who it is and who it isn't. Give us a little rundown of where things are at this particular point. So right now what's happening is the superintendent is... um, She has requested a post-termination hearing after being fired last month. Uh, She was fired on June 12th, and um, soon here in the next couple weeks, she's going to have a post-termination hearing before the school board, basically trying to prove that they fired her without cause. Let me me ask um, you something right there before you go any farther. People have already been wondering, why is it that the most highly paid person in the school district who is on as at-will employee contract gets to have this kind of battle with the school board, whereas a teacher who gets fired on an annual contract doesn't seem to have any repercussion, any um, cause to go back at all. That's a great question. Um, I really can't speak to why it's that way, but uh, the language in Dr. Romano's contract says that she can be fired for cause or without cause. And um, it says that once she's fired and gets a formal termination letter, she has 10 days to request a post-termination hearing. And so, Basically, what that will look like is her attorney, um, someone who from Palm County that's representing her, will um, sort of go head to head with an outside counsel that the school board has to pay to have represent them. And they will discuss whether um, the reasons that the school board gave for firing her that were listed in a, a termination letter that she's been given, if those reasons merit her being being fired. So um, if they do, then she'll be found to be fired with cause, which would mean that she could have to pay the school board up to $25,000, which is pretty big, pretty big number um, for them to pay toward finding a replacement, going out for a search and um, interviewing people and then eventually hiring someone else to replace her. And then if she's found if to be fired without cause, meaning that there, there was no legitimate reason that the school board let her go according to what was outlined in her contract, then she could be entitled to retirement and other benefits. So um, it's kind of a war of money, really. That's what it comes down to is is whoever can prove their case is the one, uh, you know, that's going to be getting paid and rather than paying out. And who is going to make that determination? The school board itself? Do they get to choose? Yes, the school board gets to choose. Um, so I, I guess... It, that seems kind of silly because they've already obviously made their decision and made their stance. But um, when they voted to fire her, it was a three to two vote. So there's still two members on the board who want Romano to stay um, and, and have long backed her, you know, despite different criticisms that she's she's taken. 
Um, so it, it's really up in the air, I think, what could happen. Uh, and it, I think it all depends on how these two lawyers kind of lawyer it out, you know, because it it's all going to go back to her contract. And in her contract, it says that she can be fired for cause for misfeasance, malfeasance, corruption in office, incompetency and subordination, immorality, breach of contract, material breach or the violation of any law. So um, it, it's going to take whoever, you know, the firm that's representing the school board, it's going to take that attorney or that firm proving that Dr. Romano violated one of those things. Now, you've been covering this whole brouhaha for a while now, and I wonder, you know, why exactly did they fire her, and are any of those cause things, things that you've even seen? I know there was talk about, you know, the way that she fired teachers, and that's why I brought it up earlier, from a school that was doing poorly before she ever ever even knew if that school did better. Right. Um, so Dr. Romano has suffered uh, criticism for lack of transparency, lack of communication, just general um, bad leadership, kind of fostering a culture of fear. Um, for about a year now, I've, I've been reporting on the district for about a year. So in that time, she's she's gotten a lot of uh, poor evaluations from both the school board and from the public from um, a district wide survey. So she was already kind of in a position where she, she, you know, she had supporters, but she also definitely had people who were not happy with what she was doing in the district. And then on April 13th, uh, she there's a school, Moton Elementary, and it, it's for the past couple of years, it's been the most struggling school in the county. It got a D uh, rating from the state in 2016 and then again in 2017. And so it became a turnaround school and the state's been coming in to help and, um, you know, support that school and, and kind of make sure that they're meeting different measurements. And if they were to get another D rating this year, then the state would have most likely stepped in and the district could have lost control of the school completely. So it, it could have ended up becoming a charter. It could have ended up, you know, becoming run by the state. So Dr. Romano's argument for um, coming in on, on April 13th, she, her staff came into the school and fired all 47 teachers there. And what's interesting is that all of those teachers had either effective or highly effective ratings, um, which are the highest that you can get as a teacher. So it, I think for a lot of them, it was kind of blindsided them. I don't think anyone really saw it coming. And I don't even think the school board saw it coming because, um, you know, in, in recent events and, and in their reasons for firing her, um, they said that they felt misled. They felt like she misrepresented what she was going to do before she did it. And they, they sort of felt out of the loop or bypassed and kind of shocked by, um, you know, what she did. Some of them even told me that they learned about what happened at Moton from my article that I wrote the next day. So, you know, not having that communication between a board and a superintendent is not, um, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's a positive thing. And I don't think it's something that people in the public like to see. I don't think it's something board members like to see or, or teachers and parents like to see. Now, communication so, um, also, you, you said communication was key. And it's not as if your communication with the superintendent has been great either. If the school board is learning it from you and you're, you're getting it from somebody who barely tells you anything that kind of speaks volumes, doesn't it? Right. Yeah. Um, our newspaper hasn't had a, a great relationship with Dr. Romano and her administration. We've, we've had trouble getting public records, uh, filled. We are, our requests filled. Uh, we've had trouble even meeting with her. I, I've requested several times for us to have, you know, a regular sit down, whether it be once a week or a regular phone call once a month or just any sort of regular communication. And, and those things were shut down. Um, so, and, and I know board members have come to me and said, you know, I'm a board member and I can't even get my public records request filled in this district. So um, I, I just think that there is sort of this perception of, 
a lack of transparency there. And so when Moten happened, I, I think that the board kind of felt that more personally than ever because they had angry parents. They had angry teachers coming to school board meetings, pointing their finger at them angrily, yelling, you know, these impassioned pleas for these teachers to get their jobs back. And at the same time, the teachers union was up in arms. They filed a grievance against the district um, that resulted in in Romano having to concede and say, yeah, three of these teachers should not have been fired. And so they got their jobs back. So I, I think it was Romano kind of framed that decision as we're, you know, I'm going to do something bold here. I'm going to say, I'm going to go to the state. And even though we don't know, um, cause school grades didn't come out, you know, until, until about a month ago. So, or not even. So this happened well before Moton knew or the district knew whether Moton was going to get a third D. So, um, and, and funny enough, it ends up that they didn't, <laughs> that it, that Moton got a C and actually did improve, which takes them out of that chance of being taken over by the state. The district's regained full control. Um, so really everything that she did had no purpose. It's interesting that you mentioned that because other school districts that had similar situations with their schools, Hillsborough and Pinellas, for instance, they had schools that they said, if they get that next D or F, then we will do these things. They didn't do it and then say, oops. Right. And that's what's kind of interesting about what Dr. Romano did. I I have to assume that it was sort of a power play, you know, this sort of sort of thinking, well, if, if I do this in advance, it'll look like we're really on top of it, like we really have a plan. But um, the frustrating thing to parents, you know, that we that I heard over and over and that the board heard in the series of meetings where, you know, people showed up in all purple and yellow, which are the school's colors. They had shirts, you know, they I mean, they came out in force, really, um, you know, and upset about what's happened. And so. Um, I think Dr. Romano was trying to do something big and, and get ahead of it, but she did it in the middle of state testing, which actually is what determined the C grade that Moton ended up getting. So, um, her coming in in the middle of testing and, and delivering this news to teachers and to students who are, you know, in the middle of, of taking tests that are going to determine what grade they get, which would then determine what happened with the state. She went ahead and made those decisions without any of that information. So morale buster times a hundred because they're in the middle of it. Right. And and that was the straw that broke the camel's back because they had had problems over the course of a year or longer. But now right. Dr. Romano was not a superintendent before she came to Hernando County. And I wonder how much, you know, her lack of experience in that, if, if you even know, led to this. I mean, how much how much advice she sought from other people before taking some of the actions that she took. Right. Yeah, I can't speak to that. I'm not sure. Um, it, it is true that Dr. Romano was never a superintendent before this job. So, um, you know, it is a smaller school district. So, you know, I, I can see how this would be a first, you know, kind of a, a good county to take your first superintendent's job. Um, but I, I don't know if, if her lack of experience in, in that level of leadership played into this or not. Um, I just know that people were very, very unhappy with the decisions that she made regarding Moton. It seems like in Hernando County, there's always somebody who's upset with the superintendent and the positions that they take, I mean, over the course of many years. And this one just has taken a different spin than the others because a lot of times they let that other superintendent leave and this one, they actually got rid of. And I'm just wondering, you know, was the board very deliberate in the way that they approached that? And, or did they just do it quickly on the spur of the moment? Well, I think the board has long um, voiced their 
their issues with Dr. Romano. It, it's it's kind of been a long time coming, I would say, kind of like a, a slow unravel. Um, the way that the conversation about her being terminated started, uh, school, board, school board members kind of started hinting at, you know, we're unhappy, and they would say things like, we've got to do something, but there was never any action behind those words or any specific details about what that something might be, even though I, I think it was kind of foreshadowing to this. And then uh, one of the school board members, Beth Narvarud, um, was last month right before Dr. Romano was fired. She, uh, she brought, she read some sort of letter that she had pre-written just kind of stating her issues with the superintendent and the hostility between the two of them is not a secret at all. It's very publicly known. Um, her and Dr. Romano have kind of gone back and forth at meetings, had contentious conversations publicly. They've both accused each other of not, you know, Beth would say, you know, Dr. Romano hasn't refuses to meet with me. And then Dr. Romano would say, well, Beth never has time. And so it, it was kind of this just back and forth of it's your fault. No, it's your fault. This finger, this finger pointing. And then um, Susan Duvall also has pr- been pretty vocal. Another board member has been pretty vocal about her problems with the superintendent. But um, there again, like I said, there was never really it never came to a front. And then um, after Beth Narvarud read that letter. Uh, Susan Duvall spoke up and, and, you know, said her piece. And then uh, the board's always kind of been that way where it's, it's been Gus Guadagnino and Mark Johnson. They've been strong supporters of Dr. Romano for the entire year. I've been reporting on the district. And then Susan and Beth have both been, um, you know, kind of hesitant and have, have slowly but surely um, been voicing more and more concerns. And so then that leaves, you know, kind of a split board. And then there's Linda Prescott. She's the newest member of the board. Um, she never really kind of weighed in on the issue until after Moten. And she's a longtime teacher. So I think it kind of affected her more, uh, more personally because she could relate. And um, at that meeting, after Beth and Susan spoke up, uh, Linda Prescott, you know, she, she just finally finally said something and said, you know, I, I can't look past these things anymore. Um, I'm not comfortable with how this happened. And she said that that was pretty much what pushed her to vote the way that she did. And she ended up kind of being that swing vote. And she even that night when they voted, took the final vote to, to terminate their contract with Dr. Romano, Linda Prescott recognized that. She said, you know, I'm the newest member here. I recognize that this, you know, this all comes down to me and that's not a comfortable position to be in, but I have to do what I think is right. And um, so Moten and another thing, um, two things kind of played into to her decision is what she said. And it was Moten. And then the day before Dr. Romano was terminated, the day before that vote, school board members late that night got an email from Dr. Romano's attorney, the same one from Palm Beach, who's representing her through the post-termination hearing, um, sent a letter to school board members threatening to uh, threatening legal action against Beth Narvarud and Susan Duvall, saying that they had worked to publicly humiliate Dr. Romano and that time and time again they had uh, violated the contract that they had with her by not meeting with her on a regular basis, not meeting with her before they did her evaluation. So that's kind of another thing that's in the mix here is – this whole other possible lawsuit that could happen against, you know, between Romano and two board members personally. So there's that. And then there's also the possibility of legislation between the school district or the school board as a whole and, or not legislation, excuse me, a lawsuit, um, you know, between Dr. Romano and the board as a whole um, regarding her termination. So there's just a lot going on. There's a lot of moving parts. Um, It's really interesting that some of the stuff that you're talking about sort of points to the fact that she came in from the outside. 
And the district right. over years has gone back and forth between insider and outsider superintendents. So now I'm wondering if they're looking forward, which they have to be, towards the superintendent's job as being an insider again because they like the person who they at least know and have some relationships with who's not going to bring in a Palm Beach County attorney to threaten to sue them. Or, or, right. or if they're again looking and saying, like, we're a big boy school district and we're going to bring in the best person from a national search. Right, yeah, um, that's that's a good point to make. Um, actually, the the same time that they made the decision to fire Dr. Romano, they went ahead and made their decision for um, a temporary replacement, and that is John Stratton. And he's been in the district for uh, more than 20 years. He started in Citrus, and now he's been here, and he's been a principal at every level. Um, he's been uh, or assistant principal or principal at every level of schools. He's worked a lot with special needs students and students with learning disabilities. And then he's been at the district for the past couple years. Um, he was head of academic services and just recently he was head of uh, business services. So um, he's, he has a pretty extensive resume and a lot of different experience in a lot of different realms. And the school board just felt, you know, we have to have somebody in place, especially with all of these, you know, the new school safety legislation and big decisions that are being made. And with school, you know, starting up, they felt that they needed somebody at least temporarily in that place. And so it's, it's unique because John Stratton was part of Dr. Romano's cabinet. He was actually the person who delivered the news to uh, Moton teachers that they were all being fired in April. So he was closely tied to a lot of her controversial initiatives. Um, but somehow I, I think he's being very well received from what I can tell so far. Um, everyone on the school board agreed that he would be a good, you know, temporary replacement. Uh, I met with him his second day on the job, which was a stark contrast with my relationship with Dr. Romano, um, who, you know, basically told me she refused to communicate with our newspaper, refused to go on the record, refused to answer my calls. Um, so to, to be able to meet with, you know, Mr. Stratton the second day on his job and be able to communicate the, the kind of relationship that we want and, you know, what we're seeking to do as far as coverage in the district, he was very receptive and, and said that he's looking forward to, you know, having a, an amicable relationship with me. So, um, so that's, that's where the district's at for now is, um, under Mr. Stratton's leadership. And then in the meantime, the school board has already reached out, um, to an organization to start helping them with a search. Uh, but another thing thrown into the mix here is the upcoming election. So three seats on the school board are being contested. So depending on, you know, this board, feels as though they should not pick a permanent replacement now until November when these when these seats are decided so that the new board can actually make that decision. Do you have so, do um, you have um incumbents running for re-election are and is the election then going to turn on love the superintendent hate the superintendent? Right. So yeah, I do think that that is going to be uh the biggest <laughs> item, you know, the biggest uh, discussion point, I think, in this election. It's it it even two incumbents are running. So Susan Duvall, who was, you know, on the side of firing Dr. Romano, and then uh, Mr. Johnson, who was on the opposite side uh, and wanted to keep Romano, they're both running for re-election. And actually, one of the people who has filed to run against Susan Duvall uh, has publicly said that he decided to run. He's, he's a local pastor here and um, in Brooksville. And, and he said that he decided to run because he couldn't stand what happened to Dr. Romano and he wanted to run against Susan Duvall to make that point clear. So in that race particularly, um, I think that it's going to be, that's going to be a big, big part for voters to decide, you know, what side of the issue did they fall on? Did they have students at Moton? So, you know, maybe they're going to 
they're going to understand where Duval's coming from, or, you know, maybe they don't have school, you know, kids in the school system, and they have a very limited view of what went down with Romano. So maybe they'll side with the other candidate. So, um, so yeah, I do, I do think that that is going to be, uh, Probably what this election centers on, I would say, even, you know, even though Romano's gone. So whoever said that Hillsborough County gets to have all the fun, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. No, we're having lots of fun here in Hernando. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing how this goes. And Megan, you're going to have to be a more regular person on this podcast. Absolutely. Because... Well, you just took so long to ask me. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Point well taken. Point well taken. Well, um, we will just wind up here then and we'll come back again soon. So thank you again okay. for joining me. Sounds great. Thanks, Jeff. That's the end of our conversation. Uh, Before we end the podcast, though, I did want to point out that Amendment 8 going on to the Florida ballot in November is rearing its ugly head right now. The League of Women Voters filed a lawsuit this week challenging the proposal, which involves three separate items, civics education, school board member term limits, and a state authorizer for charter schools as being misleading and hard to understand in both its title and its summary. They have filed that case in Leon County Court. Of course, the people who support the measure are fighting back, and we will hear more about that as the case progresses forward. You can find a link to the lawsuit on today's podcast post. Now, that is the end of our podcast for today. If you would like to participate in this conversation, please visit our Facebook page, Tampa Bay Times Gradebook. If you want to follow the latest in breaking education news in Florida, go to our blog, www.tampabay.com slash blog slash gradebook. And please continue to listen to and rate our podcast. We really appreciate that, and it helps other people to find it. I'm reporter Jeff Solacek. Thanks again for listening. 